Welcome to the biggest thing to hit the financial advisory ESG community, environmental, social, and governance. I'm Jonathan Kavaznik, CHFC Wealth Advisor. With over 25 years advisory experience, I've been advising clients so they can make a positive global impact. Hello, and welcome to the ESG Players Podcast with your host, Jonathan Kavaznik, one of the leading ESG advisors in the country. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our webinar this morning on financial wellness. Uh, I'm Jonathan Kavaznik, financial advisor here at uh, Cherokee Investments at Bank Cherokee. And we're really excited today to go over this important topic. And there's a lot of information, a lot of material we're going to go over. And so I want to make sure so that everyone can have an opportunity to um, ask questions. And throughout the presentation, then just feel free that at any time when you have a question on something we're discussing, to go ahead and put it in the question box. You'll have to type it in and let me know kind of what you're uh, curious about and what you'd like a little more detail about. And if we get to the end of the presentation and you haven't had a chance to ask your question, we'll have a few minutes at the end as well to go over some curious questions that people might have. So I'm going to dive into the presentation. Um, we're going to talk a lot about how financial planning and wellness dovetail into how you might want to invest your portfolio. But I think a really key place, especially after what a crazy 2020 year was, is getting things organized and figuring out how your plan looks and putting things down on paper and really taking a closer look at your objectives and your goals and then kind of having a plan so that you can move forward after such a crazy year last year. So I'm going to go into the presentation. And again, feel free to ask questions throughout the presentation in the questionnaire box. And we'll go uh, through the presentation and probably run about 35, 40 minutes, uh, hopefully we'll have some good information for you to take uh, back with you, okay? All right, so the first area we're gonna discuss is gonna be the idea of, I'm not a financial uh, attorney, I'm not a CPA, so these are really general ideas that we're gonna discuss that are really important to your financial planning future and your goals, but remember, we need to seek professional advice if we're gonna really get into the tax planning and into the legalities. So this is just to give us some thought uh, ideas and things to think about so that we'll know what to do going forward. And when we talk to other professionals, whether it's attorneys and accountants and CPAs and financial advisors, we'll know what kind of questions to ask and what things we should be thinking about that are important to us. So, you know, in today's age, of course, we're doing this virtual instead of in person, which of course, everyone would love to be in person doing it uh, right here in the office and being able to see face to face. However, I want to take a little bit of a self-analysis right now. So if you want to think about this in your mind while we go through it, it's really key um, and it's really important to understand what is um, important to thinking about my financial plan, okay? So when we look at it, we're going to say to ourselves, write these things down and then move from here when you do something more formal. So the first thing we want to do is write down kind of your short-term and your long-term financial goals. You know, think about what's your short-term goals, whether it's taking a vacation, saving for an emergency, or having money to buy an automobile or a cabin or something that might be short-term. But then also know also where your financial documents are. Uh, you might find yourself in a situation where you need to know where your power of attorney is or your medical directive or even your will or your trust documents. You know, so make sure you know where those documents are and maybe share with somebody that you put them in a safe place. You know, one of the uh, most unfortunate places to put them would be in your safe deposit box at the bank. So I always like to tell people, remember, if you put them in your safe deposit box at the bank, you have access to that box. 
But if you're incapacitated or unable to get to the bank, no one else has access to that box. So the documents won't really be handy if they're locked away in a safe deposit box that only you have access to. So think about that when you're putting together your documents and where are you putting them in a safe place? Um, and who are you sharing with that you have those documents, right? That leads into, do you have an up-to-date will and power of attorney? Of course, those are key important documents. You know, do you have a contact list of financial professionals who interact with you? So if something should happen to you, your family members or your friends will know, here, contact John Kvasnik, he's my financial advisor, contact this person because they're my accountant, contact this person because they do my insurance. It's nice to have a list or a contact so people know who to reach out to should something happen to you, unfortunately, that you're not prepared for to happen, and therefore they'll still have access to your documents. The other thing is, have you ever requested a credit report in the last year? Sometimes it's good to do that, right? We wanna see what's on our credit report, and once in a while, we're a little surprised to find out that there's something on there that either shouldn't be on there, and we're not exactly sure how it got on there. And so you can clean that up, but it's really a good idea periodically to request your credit report just so you can kind of see what's on there. And then the last thing on the list is, do you know the balance and interest rates, annual fees, and credit limits on your credit cards? And why that's important, of course, is you want to make sure that you're not paying annual fees that you wouldn't have to pay, but you also want to make sure that maybe you could shop around and get better interest rates if you find yourself in a situation where you have balances for more than a month on your credit cards. So it's a good idea to shop that around and review this periodically. Okay, so kind of take a self-analysis of, of this situation for you and see how that works. The other thing we want to do is look at, do you have three to six months of income saved for emergencies? Of course, some people already retired or on the uh, webinar today. Some people are still uh, working and some people have a long time before they reach retirement or on the webinar today. But think about having an emergency of liquid money of three to six months in case something unexpected happens so that you have access to it quickly. You wanna ask yourself, am I contributing to retirement accounts still if I'm still in the workforce? And am I doing a good amount of that? And how does that work? You, know, you wanna see what tax bracket are you in? Kind of review, um, is there a way to reduce your tax uh, um, implications of what you're doing? So look at what tax bracket you're in and see if there's some things you can do there. Figure out if you have a need for life insurance, uh, what level should you have for you and your family? And then are, are the salaries of you and your family members insured? Meaning if something were to happen to you uh, and your ability to earn income, do you have a backup plan or a way to ensure that you can still pay some of your bills? Okay, so this is kind of a quick short list of the things that we wanna bring together when we think about what's important to putting together a plan of action and having things written down. All right, so let's talk hey, about a little bit. Hey, John. Yes. We do have our first question, and okay. someone's just wondering if we can email out these slides after the presentation. Uh, absolutely, for sure. Um, I will make sure that uh, our office gets those together, and we can email that to everyone so they can have a reference. Uh, of course, uh, we can do that. Great. Yep. Thanks, John. Excellent. Okay. Um, so this slide is talking about the different challenges that women may face, and so when we're doing financial planning and we look at the differences in gender, one of the things we wanna take into account is that on average, women uh, tend to earn less uh, money than men and not because they're less um, talented, right? It's maybe they were out of the workforce for a while when they had children, or maybe they work someplace where they're not getting par uh, paid fairly. Um, and so we wanna take that into account and realize that if women are earning less than men to start with and women live longer than men, 
uh, it's important to have that in the plan and realize that you may need more savings and that you may need more investing going on in order to achieve your goal of retirement just based on the fact that you're going to live longer and you may not have the same earning potential while you're working as another gender. So what will we cover today? So let's talk about, this is the areas I'm uh, hoping we'll get through and we can talk about and cover. And that's going to be um, improving your spending habits, right? So what can you do to manage your cash flow and your debt? Protecting what's important, meaning your health and what happens if you're unhealthy and how to protect your wealth in those scenarios and things of that nature. And then making the most of your money, which is strategically, how should we handle taxes? and how should we handle investing and how those are gonna to fit together so that once we're able to save some money or we have some money already saved, how do we not have as much of a negative impact from the taxes, but also how much do we need to earn to make sure we can achieve our goal? And then that's the last slide uh, or topic we're gonna to talk about is planning for longer term goals like retirement, okay? So let's get into that, improving your spending habits. So one of the things we wanna take into account is to take a closer look at our expenses, right? When we think about we have our earning potential or we have our income from our investments if we're already retired and other sources. And so we wanna to say to ourselves, if we have a certain amount of monthly income, we also wanna look at the other side of the equation, which is our monthly expenses, okay? And the question is how can we handle reducing those or managing those or making sure we keep those intact? And we wanna do that by tracking our expenses such as dining and, and eating out and shopping. And then the last thing on the list, which is very hard in today's uh, e-commerce and uh, quick um, money and credit cards is we wanna use cash uh, or maybe our debit cards rather than our credit cards uh, to be able to better understand how much money we have each month and not overspend compared to what our income is. So let's look at what is a typical household, okay? And so typically, if you wanted to say, how do I compare to a typical household, we're going to say that about 33% of my income goes to pay for housing, whether it's rent or a mortgage or whatever type of uh, housing I'm going to take into account. 14% is go for food. 18% uh, is for my transportation, my automobile, my auto insurance, my way of getting around. 3% is entertainment. And 12% is what people are typically saving um, out of their income stream, right? And of course, 2020, our entertainment expenses probably went way down relative to what we're used to, but this is what a typical household is gonna look like. Now we're gonna look at the next slide, which is what is kind of a recommendation, right? And so typically the average you could see was about a third of, of our expenses are going to housing. And that's kind of where we wanna budget, 25 to 35% of your income, you should say, okay, that's what I can afford to use for a mortgage payment, for a rent payment, for my housing, you know, 10 to 15% for food, 10 to 15% for my transportation costs, five to 10% for entertainment, and then saving 10 to 15%, whatever means it is that you're saving for your future, right? Whether it's investments, retirement accounts, insurance pro products, pensions, that's kind of what we recommend when we're trying to get together a game plan to decide what is my goals and my objectives and how much can I really afford to spend in these categories? And then will I make my uh, retirement goal? Okay, so let's talk about setting effective goals. The first and most important is gonna be is we wanna make them realistic, right? If we 
have goals that we say I'm going to retire tomorrow and we don't have any uh, resources, that's not very realistic. So let's think about what seems realistic based on my income or what seems realistic based on the assets I've already attained and whether or not that is a good idea to start out as a plan, right? So set an a, a obtainable deadline. It's really important to kind of give ourselves a deadline. Otherwise, if it's open-ended, of course, we just keep pushing it out and thinking about it. We'll take care of that next week. We'll take care of that next month. We'll take care of that next year. You know, so kind of set yourself a deadline that says, I really want to attain this at this date, right? And then break your goals into smaller pieces, meaning this is how much I'm going to do on a monthly basis, or this is what I'm going to try to save on an annual basis. Uh, not only just um, for saving, right, but also maybe I have some debt or I have some expenses and trying to shrink those and take it in small bite sizes would really help. And then if you achieve the goal, give ourselves a reward that maybe we're going to do something special because we achieved our goals and we're going to spend a little bit more money in an area that we hadn't really uh, budgeted for. But because we achieved the goals, of course, now we're able to do that. You know, so we want to take all of that into account when we're coming up with our plan. The other way that we can really help our budget is by being a, a smart consumer, right? And what does that mean? That means looking at areas where we can go and shop around and find better deals. My favorite new store uh, is Sierra Trading Company, right? You go there and you get all these outdoor items and they're uh, really discounted deeply compared to if I go to a full price retailer. So think about that. When you're doing your shopping and you're going online or you're going into a store, um, you know, try to compare and see if you can save some money because that'll help you with your budget. You know, maybe go out a little less, resist the impulse to buy uh, immediately, give yourself a little bit of time to say, you know, if I waited 48 hours before I make this bigger purchase, do I still feel like I need that, right? And maybe buy a car that's maybe a, a lease return or a used car. A car really depreciates, of course, in those first, well, the first year extremely, but in those first three years, you could really get a great deal on a car that's in very nice condition, right? If we thought about maybe a used car that's maybe a couple years old, might not be such a bad way for me to save a lot of money on my transportation part of my budget. And you know, of course, budget for the holidays, setting a goal of how much you might spend on gifts for certain people, and then uh, pay as you go. And pay as you go means not loading up on debt, right? Meaning when I go to spend some money, I don't wanna use a credit card that I feel like I have unlimited resources, I want to know that I'm paying cash or that I'm using maybe my debit card that's tied to a checking account so that when I run out of money on a monthly basis, I'm out of money, right? And I have to reset my budget. So these are all key to trying to be a smart consumer and help our financial plan kind of achieve what the goals are going to be that you set. So let's set some savings goals, right? So when we think about not only are we going to have savings goals that we're going to set, um, in the short term, but we're going to have saving goals that we're going to set for the long term, right? So things like vacations and gifts, car purchases, a home purchase, appliances, we, well, we're going to do that in the short term. So we may be able to pay some of that out of our cash flow from our income, or we may have to save up a little in reserve, but those are short term, right? Then we have the long term where we're going to fund our retirement. We might have to fund our children's college education. We might have a major vacation that's gonna be much more expensive than normal. And you might decide you wanna buy a second home in Florida or a cabin or something in that nature. And so we wanna start saving for those long-term goals. So again, we wanna have a plan and put everything in perspective, right? But we wanna have things dissected by short-term and long-term. And that way we can then pair that with how the money gets invested 
uh, as well, so that we can reduce your risk by trying to do short-term goals with long-term investments. And we'll get to that in a little bit. So a lot of times people are asking, well, what is a correct amount I should have for an emergency? And the easy answer is at least six months worth of income is recommended for your emergency fund, right? So if I make $50,000 a year, I should have $25,000 of liquid money, okay? Now, some people uh, might feel like that's a little uh, high and some people might feel that that's a little bit low. And so think about it that this is just a guide. It really depends on your personal preference and how much you spend um, and then how much you feel comfortable with. So think about these as rules of thumbs that we wanna put into your retirement plan or into your financial wellness, but it isn't steadfast that you have to have this. It's just, this is the guide and we should think about that when we're putting together uh, plans and, and trying to figure out what we wanna do and what we don't wanna do from a savings standpoint. So how do we build that up? A lot of times it's really hard to say, I'm gonna keep a certain amount of money in my checking or savings account because I keep spending it or I never put it there because at the end of the month, there's really nothing left to put in there because I put it into my accounts through work and I have my retirement plans. But when it's all said and done, I had nothing left to keep in the savings account. So the easiest is to really just do an automatic where a certain amount of money just goes straight into savings, right? It's automatic. Every month it's 50 or 100 or whatever amount. And if you get a raise or a promotion, try to put it either towards your short-term emergency savings or use it to, maybe invest in something more secure investment-wise, but not necessarily long-term, right? Something that's a little more stable that you might have access to if you needed it, but maybe it's a little better rate than if you just put it in a savings or checking account and didn't get a lot of interest. So these are the things we wanna kind of balance based on an individual's desire to either have enough for retirement, but also make sure if something comes along like the 2020 where we have unsure and uneasiness, what is my emergency plan going to be and where is that money that I can grab easily if my income changes uh, un unforeseen or um, in the short term, I might need a little bit extra, okay? The really key part then also is to think about is we want to make sure that we have debt that we use wisely. And what does that mean? Well, of course, a lot of people a uh, majority of people, probably almost all people uh, would have a mortgage when they go to purchase a home, but we wanna make sure that our debt is no more than 36% of our income, if we think about it that way, right? So when we're out looking at, oh, I think I might like to get a second home, or I think I might like to downsize or increase the size of my home, or I think I might like to have a new car, we don't want our debt to be more than 36% of our income, and when they talk about using it wisely, what they're talking about is not loading up on credit card or short-term high interest rate debt. Because of course, here we are, we're paying a lot of money to the credit card companies or to the short-term loan um, at a very high interest rate. But in the meantime, we never can seem to figure out how to get out of that, right? So a way to look at that is if my debt is at 36%, great, if my debt is a little higher or a lot higher is examine, am I only making minimum payments on my credit cards? Uh, do I have a lot of balances on a bunch of different credit cards? Or am I actually taking my paycheck and running down to a cash uh, checking place or to the bank and cashing it because I have no money uh, to spend, right? So think about it in that way that using debt wisely is where does it make sense and where doesn't it make sense and what kind of interest rate am I paying 
And again, your professionals, your financial advisor, your bankers uh, can help you figure that game plan out if you find yourself in that situation where debt is starting to bog down you achieving your longer term goals. Okay, so how do you manage your debt? First, you wanna really take inventory, right, of what you have in debt. Do I have a mortgage? Do I have a home equity loan? Do I have credit cards? Do I have a car loan? We wanna put all of that into perspective and we wanna see which ones could we pay off and get rid of because they're not really appropriate from a high interest rate standpoint or they're not really benefiting at us uh, the way we like them to or can we pay some of those down and then looking at if we should consolidate and figure out which ones uh, we got to get rid of and which loans and debt we can uh, consolidate into so we have a lower interest rate and we can either do that for consolidating right or we could refinance with all-time uh, mortgage rates low right now and we want to monitor that and keep track of if things kind of work their way up on the short-term debt if we're smarter to try to reallocate consolidate or figure out a less expensive way to manage that debt because again that can really hurt us in trying to achieve our overall uh, goals and it wastes a lot of a lot of our money right paying interest rates on debt that aren't really getting us anywhere but they felt like they were at the time that we did those and again let's talk about credit cards the pros and the cons because here's where a lot of times we get into trouble with our debt right is the advantage of course when we use our credit card is it's safer than cash because we can charge we can get a warranty on things a guarantee it's protection we can't lose our money because we have a credit card so no one's gonna take our cash and it's not gonna disappear. It's hard to travel, of course, without a credit card. We wanna build credit so we can get a mortgage or uh, other types of longer term loans. Well, you gotta have a good credit history and you might get some points or some cash back, right? So we wanna use our credit cards because we feel like we might get a little bit of a reward uh, and reduce the actual cost of the items we buy. But where do we get hurt? On the disadvantages, of course, right? And that is, it's very easy to have credit cards that have very high interest rates. Our intention was to pay them off every month. And the next thing, we're paying 21, 22% interest. And, and, and we never seem to uh, ever pay off any of the principal or the balance. It's easy for us to lose track, right? So we don't really want that to happen. And it can really negatively affect our credit history if all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place where we're paying late, we forget we have five credit cards and all of a sudden we don't make payments on them. And that really hurts us in the bigger picture much more severely than if we tried to keep track of it and pay as we go. So this is a really big deal. We got to really keep track of that um, debt side and make sure that it's not impacting us so negatively. And if it is, let's get a, a handle on that, right? And let's figure out where are our options to reduce that. Let's think about that. Here's an easy example of this slide, right? You thought you were buying something for $10,000 on your credit card. It, you didn't pay it down, it sat there for five years, it was at a 12.5% interest rate, and it cost you an extra $3,500 for that same item, right? Because the interest keeps accruing and keeps causing us to pay more. So if you put it in perspective, right, if I use a credit card, it's immediate, I get the item, but what is that item really costing me? And am I maybe needing to think about is there a better way or do I postpone that purchase so I can use more of my own savings and my own cash flow to purchase that? Or can I reduce that credit card interest rate by using something else other than a credit card for longer term? Okay. The other thing that's really key, right? And that is when I go to purchase, maybe I'm getting a home, maybe I'm getting a condominium after I uh, move out of my home when I retire. Maybe I'm buying a condominium for 
a vacation property. The credit score is really important as to what I'm gonna pay for interest and whether or not I'm gonna get favorable um, terms, right? On my loans and on my uh, mortgages and on my debt. So think about it is it does matter and it makes a difference. And so the goal is, is to make sure that we have a higher credit card, uh, I mean, a higher credit score and 725 is kind of the benchmark, right? So again, maybe some of you have already looked at your credit scores in the past year. If you haven't, you can do it for free. You can get uh, access to your credit uh, score and look and see if you're above the 725, then excellent. Then you know you're kind of in a good space. If you find things on your credit uh, score report, right, that you were like, what is going on here? My credit report looks like there's things on here I didn't know about. You can clean that up and then work on getting that score back up higher. And then if you have really low credit uh, scores, you can figure out why is that? Because that, again, that's probably because we have a lot of stuff on short-term credit cards that probably don't need to be there or they shouldn't be there or we're paying a lot of interest or we're just busy and we got sloppy and our credit card score slid because we didn't pay on time. And so this is kind of the key to success, right? Is to make sure that we know what our score is and that we're managing that part of the equation in our overall financial wellness. So how is the best way to boost that score, right? I mentioned a little bit, but is you wanna keep your oldest credit lines, right? Meaning that the longer you have a credit line and the less people are pulling your credit report, the better it is for your score, right? Every time someone does an inquiry, it kind of nicks your credit score down. And the longer you keep a credit line, then it looks better and it increases your score, right? You wanna start small and build. So kind of get yourself some lines of credit maybe or utilizing your credit cards, but you don't have to start out huge, but you wanna build it over time. But you also gotta be key on paying your bills on time. Be aware of what accounts you open. Cause again, it's hard to keep track if you start opening up a whole bunch of different accounts and you run the risk of paying late, which then is very hard on your credit score. You wanna establish a checking or savings account right in your own name. A lot of times people will say, well, I have a credit card or I have a checking account and it's in my spouse's name or it's in my partner's name or it's in my kid's names or my parent. It should be in your own name. You wanna have a utility bill that's in your own name. And then you wanna open up at least maybe one credit card or two so that you have a report that's running. Even if you don't use those, you wanna have them open so that you have a, a, a pattern that you have a credit card, right? And that the credit score then reflects on that. And then go and check your credit report, which you can do. It says that annualcreditreport.com is a site. Uh, you could call the bank and see how they can help you do it. But this is really kind of key to keeping your score high. Now, if we think about our short-term goals and, and our expenses and managing our debt, that's part of our plan. How about protecting what's important, which is our health and our ability to uh, retain that so that we can continue to earn income or protect the assets we have so that that doesn't crash our plan and create a situation where we thought we were doing all right, now our health isn't quite the same and we didn't do a good job of protecting that and then the plan kind of goes the wrong direction. So let's talk about it. Here's kind of a neat slide. Um, kind of look at it as it's kind of like a good home, right? Your financial picture. If you start at the top of the slide, that's talking about the legacy, which is really the end of your financial planning, saying, I've made it. I didn't spend all my money. I did a great job of planning. I worked with some professionals. We set up accounts. We had everything going. 
But now what happens when I pass away, I wanna make sure that my estate gets distributed according to my desires, right? Whether it's for charities or nonprofits or whether it's to family members and how to do that best also from a tax standpoint so that those organizations and our family members pay less in taxes. You know, so that's at the end of our plan. Then in, the, in between is our future planning, right? Or looking at our current planning. And that is, do I have to pay for someone's college education? How are my investments, my mutual funds, my annuities, uh, my deferred compensation plans at work, my pensions, my IRAs, my retirement, all that, my home, right? How is that working now and working towards where do I wanna see that in the future, but for my benefit, not necessarily for a legacy benefit. And then you have the protection category, which again, a lot of people who are working have it through their employer. They have group plans, right? But we wanna make sure if I become disabled or I end up in a nursing home or I pass away prematurely, how does that affect my family and my children or my spouse or my partner, right? How is that gonna derail the plan? And whether or not I have those areas covered and our foundation, of course, is our ability to earn income if we're still working. And that's the disability part, right? If I can't earn income and I still have a need and I'm in a younger age and I'm gonna live, let's just say to the age of uh, 86, but I happen to be 58, that's a long time not to have income if my health disappears. And so we wanna include that in our planning and saying whether I do it through my employer or I do it on my own, that's the foundation is protecting our ability to earn income while we're trying to acquire everything above that, above the foundation, okay? So let's talk about also protecting our longevity. So disability is really kind of in the realm of, I need disability and I need to protect my income while I'm working, but then I also wanna worry about protecting my assets that are generating income if something happens to me when I'm no longer working. And so I've talked to a lot of clients uh, in this area where we're shifting from the idea of, I'm worried about my health from a disability standpoint and being able to work, to now I'm worrying about protecting the assets that I've accumulated now that I retired and not having my health invade that at such a pace that I no longer can get the income I need to live on from those assets, right? So we look at it that most people who are turning 65 today are gonna need some sort of assisted living long-term care. And the annual cost you can see of a private nursing home is up to $102,000 a year. So we have to make a decision. Do we wanna protect that? Do we have enough assets to generate enough income to provide for that? Um, but we wanna take that into account. So we don't wanna forget about that when you're doing your planning, right? Because again, this is your wellness and your health and your ability to preserve your assets that are generating the income that you're using. And where this gets a little uh, more in depth, right, is if I have a spouse, what happens if one of us uh, needs nursing home care? Or what if I'm on my own and I need nursing home care? Who's gonna take care of that if there's not enough assets? Or if I go into a nursing home and need assisted living, and then I come back out after depleting a lot of my assets, how is that gonna make my future picture look for generating income from assets I don't have anymore, right? So all of this is, needs to be addressed and that's kind of the whole idea of the wellness of putting that into your overall financial pictures, making sure you account for that. The thing I wanna also point out again is um, gender can 
make a difference in how we do the planning. And why is that? Because if you think about most people turning 65 are gonna need long-term care of some sort, women are gonna live longer, which potentially means they will find themselves in a situation of needing long-term care for a longer period of time based on their gender. And how do we plan for that? Um, as opposed to planning the idea that everyone's gonna have the same length of time in long-term care, or everyone's gonna live the same length of time. We really wanna take into uh, account the mortality tables and life expectancy when we're doing our planning. Not just say, well, here's a general rule, right? The average person lives to age 82, so I must be okay. No, when we're dealing with uh, women, we wanna make sure that we know they're uh, potentially gonna outlive a male counterpart um, if that's their uh, family unit. And if they are, how are they adjusting to that to make sure that they're protected and they have the assets uh, that their male counterpart probably doesn't need uh, potentially based on their life expectancy. I put this into the presentation or I didn't take it out of the presentation, which is to protect your identity. You know, a lot of our clients and a lot of uh, the population is using e-commerce, right? Especially after um, 2020, a lot of what we've shifted to is everything is digital and everything is online and everything is like this, a virtual meeting as opposed to an in-person meeting. And I think it's really important that we understand the potential to derail our financial uh, plan to find out that someone stole our identity or got into our accounts and then wrecked uh, some negative havoc on our credit report or on our bank accounts or our identities. And so I just want to put out there that people should really protect their, their PIN numbers, their passwords, their account numbers, their credit reports, and be very vigilant about that because this is an area, uh, it's increasing more and more exposure to derailing your ability to know that you're gonna be secure when you go to use your retirement accounts and you know you're gonna be secure when you go to use your investments and your savings. All hey, right. John, could I add yes. to that? Yes. Another important thing to keep in mind too is whether you're using your mobile phone or a computer, make sure that you're keeping current on all these security patches that are coming out, whether it's for your browser or your operating system or your phone. That's very important as well. If you're using an old device, you're more susceptible to account takeovers. So keep those devices up to date. Excellent. Yep, can't really emphasize that enough. And um, I, we won't get into it today too much, uh, but also think about when you have all your documents uh, for estate planning, and you have uh, websites, uh, they're all digitally accessed. And of course, not everyone has access to those accounts if something happens to you. And so as I've been meeting with clients and their attorneys, you, know, you have to think about who is gonna have access to your passwords if you become incapacitated, but how are they gonna know what those are, right? And who, who should have access to those when it's really on the cloud, it's out on the internet, it isn't really a physical account piece of paper that they can walk in with. So. All of that's really important now, and it's becoming even more apparent uh, with, again, the e-commerce and the digital age. So um, we can talk about that more in a, another workshop as well, or of course, you know, address that really when you're doing your planning. So let's talk about this slide, make the most of the money you have. So what we really wanna do is take into account what is the uh, investment strategies that are appropriate for you, not necessarily taking into account what's appropriate for everyone. So think about it this way is, 
when we go and look at what your goals and objectives are and you understand your own health and your ability to save and your uh, risk tolerance is I'm gonna go over a few ideas on what's a good approach and what are the options. And then you as an individual should really take that back and say, this is my comfort level and this is the ideas that I like and here's what I really don't like and take that into account and then understand the taxes implications of what we're doing so we can better understand how to put that into our plan. Again, we're talking financial planning, setting goals and objectives, and also how to manage our assets, right? And this is the piece we're gonna talk about now and what we have to take into account when we're doing that. And so here's the areas of investment risk. When we think about how we're gonna allocate our IRAs or our 401k plan, you know, or our mutual funds or our annuities, is we wanna take into account our understanding and our um, risk tolerances and our willingness to accept some of these uh, as risk for ourselves or not. So we have market risk, which I think we all understand what that means. That means that if the stock market and the equity markets are going up and down, you and I have to take into account how is that gonna affect our overall financial plan and what risks should we take there. Inflation, which we haven't had inflation risk recently. However, it feels like we might be getting more of that to come, which means as the economy kicks in and housing is getting expensive, every year and groceries are going up, we wanna make sure that our portfolio, right, our ability to generate income is keeping up with that or we'll fall behind and we won't be able to buy the same things five or 10 years uh, from now that we thought we could buy today and we might find ourselves at risk of not making our goals. We want economic risk. If there's a downturn, um, how are we gonna to adjust to that? We have the risk of reinvesting our interest or reinvesting our dividends and what does that look like? We have currency risk, which most of us are not gonna deal with on a personal level, um, but currency risk talks about, right, what's the exchange rate between different marketplaces? And if we have an investment like an international fund where they're buying stocks and uh, bonds from other marketplaces, what does the exchange rate gonna do to that account? And of course we have political risk and deciding maybe right now an idea might be, you know, clean energy is gonna be very good because we have a political climate where that seems to be really uh, coming into favor, right? So we wanna look at that and how is that gonna affect our overall plan or is the political risk gonna undo our tax situation where we're gonna get hurt by taxes more than we thought and making these adjustments. So again, we wanna take all these into account for our financial wellness to make sure that we understand these risks in our portfolios and then how we're addressing them. And again, short-term and long-term, right? When we have short-term goals, we have certain types of accounts like savings accounts, money markets, certificates of deposits. Then we have our long-term goals where we wanna use different kinds of investments. And then we have to balance these two as the previous slide showed is what risks are we accepting by going from uh, short-term uh, investments to long-term investments? And what part of our portfolio belongs in each of those pools? So let's look at this slide, which is talking about lower risk to higher risk, right? And what really uh, is going to create that is cash, of course, has very low risk. It's in the bank, it doesn't fluctuate. And we move to the right, we end up in uh, stocks and equities and things that fluctuate and they have higher risk. And we need to uh, figure out and we need to adjust our management of our portfolios and kind of our pools of money and funds to determine where we fit into this and what we're willing to accept 
But of course, the higher risk gives us higher return potential. And so we want to have some higher return potential, uh, most likely, but we want to do it in a way that it fits into our overall plan. And we know that we're doing it for longer term. Because remember, one of the rules is the longer uh, time I have, the, help, the more it helps reduce risk, right? So the longer time I have, the more it helps reduce risk. And so we need time on our side to help alleviate some of the higher risk so that we can have higher return potential. So how do we manage our risk, right? So again, it's time is our friend when it comes to risk, um, but we also wanna be diversified. We wanna have a balance of things, right? We don't wanna have all large tech. We don't wanna have all small startups. We don't wanna have all cash. So we wanna figure out diversification. And again, putting together the plan, figuring out what that right mix is for you and your understanding of the risk you're taking. We want a dollar cost average, right? So sometimes it'll make sense if we save every month out of our paycheck, that's kind of nice if the market goes up and down because I'm going in at different times and I'm not as worried about a big correction because I'm still saving money into the market. So that will be okay in the long term by being able to dollar cost average in the short term. And again, rebalancing is key, right? We wanna periodically make sure that if certain things are going up faster than other parts of the market, that we rebalance and take some of that off, reduce some of that exposure and keep rebalancing. And the last part is absolutely uh, true is we don't wanna do it through market timing, right? So last year was, again, I can't think of any other time other than 2008, and, or 1999 when I was uh, in the business as well as an advisor is we have periods of time where the market has a big drop and we don't wanna panic. And we also don't wanna jump in with the idea that we're getting in now because it's hot and we're gonna somehow be smart enough to get out before it's not. We don't wanna to try to time the market. We wanna use rebalancing, dollar cost averaging and diversification to get our portfolio to be managed risk-wise and appropriately for what we're comfortable with, but not through market timing or, or trying to figure out what the market's gonna do next week. So let's talk a little bit about saving for long-term goals, such as retirement or college planning. I'm gonna kind of focus mostly on uh, the retirement planning um, with the idea that uh, college planning is kind of its own little standalone, right? So let's think about it. 23% of the workers only feel comfortable that they're ready for retirement. That's a pretty low number if you think about when we survey and we say, hey, everybody, how you think you're doing and your saving and your readiness to be able to retire comfortably, less than a quarter of the population of workers think they're on track to be able to do that. So that's what we're trying to figure out for ourselves by doing some planning and setting up our goals and objectives. Are we on track? What do we need to do to adjust? because that'll help our feeling of confidence and our comfort level increase. Again, if we look at it from a gender perspective, 55% of women expect to retire after age 65 or maybe not get to retire at all. Again, we wanna take that into account and understand if that is reasonable uh, expectation because we really can't, or if we were able to do some things to adjust I would like to be able to say that that number is much higher of the women who expect to retire before 65 because we were able to do some planning and really realize that they were in a good spot and they could be comfortable knowing they could retire sooner. And 32% of women expect Social Security to be their primary source of retirement income. And so for those who are retired, you already know 
uh, what your social security benefit is. For those who are not retired, you get a, a thing in the mail every once in a while, or you can kind of look it up online if you want to. And for most people, social security is not gonna be enough uh, to make ends meet when you go to retire. So if 32% of women expect that that's gonna be their primary income, and it's uh, not much different for other genders, we need to take that into account that that's probably not gonna work and we need to address that sooner so that we can be prepared when we do hit retirement age that we didn't expect that to actually be a good place for us to be, relying on social security as our primary resource. So let's talk about that. Um, a goal should be set if we can to save 20% of our income for our future needs, right? How do we do that? The rule of thumb is pay yourself first. So meaning that a lot of people might say, well, I think I'm gonna pay down my credit cards. I'm gonna make extra payments on my mortgage. I'm gonna do other things. And then you might say, I'm gonna take a vacation, but pay yourself first means I'm gonna worry about making my goals and objectives first, and then I'll do the extra excess that I think I wanna take and, and, and do in the future, but not to do that now, not until I've achieved the idea that I'm saving what I need to stay on track. Take advantage of your match at your employer. Uh, every once in a while, someone will meet and they'll say, yeah, I don't like the 401k plan at work. I'm not gonna use it. And it turns out that they're gonna get a three or 4% match if they were to use it, um, and they don't. Well, that's money, of course, that would make a huge difference in the long-term of having that extra 4% going into your retirement account um, that you don't get to use. And so I can't emphasize enough that you should research that and make sure you're using that. Uh, the other thing is to have automatic features of saving, right? If you're gonna do your own IRAs or your own retirement plans, because maybe you're self-employed, or maybe you like to do a Roth IRA in addition to what you can do through your work plan, is to do it automatically so you're not having to write out a check or do a, a digital uh, transfer every month, that it just happens. And then lo and behold, at the end of the year, you're like, wow, I have $3,000 in an IRA account that just happened automatically. It's very easy and it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, and it really can help us uh, achieve our goals that way, okay? Um, we don't want to um, keep everything in savings, right? In a low yielding account but we also don't wanna have everything maybe high risk. And we wanna have that balance between diversifying our savings and figuring out our retirement investments. We wanna start sooner. We wanna maybe consider rolling old retirement plans into something we have more control of that we can uh, allocate and invest in a, a more direct way that we are comfortable with. And of course, meeting with the financial professional. So whether you work with someone like myself at Cherokee Investments, or you have an advisor that you work with, you know, it's periodically figuring out how all this is gonna to fit together and getting a game plan so that you have a roadmap uh, for achieving those goals. So let's look at what most people figure are their in, uh, retirement uh, sources of income, right? So we mentioned in an earlier slide um, that a lot of people might feel that social security is going to be the source of retirement income. And again, retirement income from social security is part of what we should plan on, but we have to figure out if you're one of the people and it works out well that it is enough, great. But then we wanna say, well, what do I have for defined benefit plans through my employer? Do I have any pensions? Do I have any 401k plans? And whether or not we have a lot of 
people who get bored in retirement or they want to do something they never got to do uh, while they were working for full time and they do a part time uh, work right so we want to talk about is all of that going to fit into your picture of what you see happening when you go to retire is this something that happens when you're 55 at 65 you know at 70 or maybe i'm not really officially retired i'm just going to have the freedom to do what i want and so we want to take into account these areas um, into our retirement income all right let's talk about retirement savings we have 401k plans we have 403b plans for those who are in the nonprofit world we have our iras we have our roth iras so we're going to take all of that into account right and try to figure out if we're on track or not and then we have our personal savings so we want to take that into account as well so all of these are going to fit into that and all of these are going to be what we're going to put into the package of saying am i on track these are the areas i have uh, assets available to me and how does that fit into my overall long-term goals and where am i going to get my income then in the future from these different assets here's a good example we want to talk about how it's easy to do it earlier as opposed to later and why is that the rule of thumb always is compounding uh, is our friend and time is our friend why because if I were to save, like the slide shows, $6,000 a year for 20 years and earn zero interest, it's only $120,000. But if I were to save $6,000 a year and I get to have my money earn money, right? I get my money to work for me, you can see how much the difference is. $233,956 by getting my money to work for me over those years rather than have it sitting either in a liquid account earning zero or I wait and I say, I'll just save at the tail end of my career. I don't need to save throughout my career or my ability to have income uh, throughout my life. I'm gonna wait till much later in life to start saving. Your money can work for you and earn more money, which then gives us a lot more to have at the end when we're ready to start using it for income. So let's talk a little briefly here. I'll just touch base uh, slightly on social security, right? Um, the eligibility of when you're eligible for benefits, how you qualify, meaning how did you contribute to it, what's retirement age of Social Security, when can you start to draw, and does it matter you know, for spousal benefits, whether I'm married or not. And so, again, this is really key when people get to be around 62, 65, they start saying, hey, how does Social Security work? I wonder if I qualify, and I wonder whether I should start it or not. And so, again, this fits into your plan. So let's talk about how to get the most out of the Social Security, right? Is I'm eligible for Social Security if I've worked um, 40 quarters, right? Which is equivalent to 10 years of a job where someone was paying uh, me, right? Paying into a Social Security. I also um, am paying payroll tax of 6.2% while I'm working. So Right? My employer, if I'm employed, is paying Social Security uh, in. I'm paying into Social Security. If I'm self-employed, I have my own business. Of course, I'm paying both sides, the employer. And if I do that for 10 years into Social Security, now I qualify for the benefits. So how is it calculated? Retirement age is going to be 67 years old for anyone who was born after 1960. So a lot of times people are like, well, I thought I could take Social Security at age 62 or I thought I qualified at 65. If you're born after 1960, your normal retirement age is 67. 
And if you were born anywhere between um, or prior to 1960, right? Uh, it's either age 65 or 66 years and 10 months, right? So what does that mean? It doesn't mean you can't draw Social Security earlier. earlier. It means you're just not gonna get your full benefit. And that's kind of key. And why is that key? Because if I um, look at here, when can I draw my uh, Social Security? Is if I draw it at 62 years old, even though I can, it's reduced 25% for the rest of my life, right? So it's not just reduced, oh, I have a reduction for this year because I'm only 62. It'll get bumped up when I hit age 65 or 67 at full retirement. It doesn't work that way. It says I tapped into it at age 62. Now I'm stuck with that 25% reduction for the rest of my life. And so that's where the planning comes into play, right? We want to say, should I tap into it at age 62? Do I need it? Do I not need it? What's the benefit of waiting till 65? What's the benefit of waiting till my full retirement age if it's more like 67? And putting that into play. And so again, this is really an important um, choice, right? Because again, once we choose it, it's set. And so we want to make sure we choose correctly. And uh, part of it is the wellness part, right? Part of it is, am I healthy? Am I unhealthy? What's my life expectancy? And part of it is, do I need the money or don't I need the money quite yet? And so again, that's a key part that we want to take into consideration. So let's uh, recap. We want to make sure that we can improve our spending habits by tracking them, making sure we can uh, lower our expenses if possible, have a budget, see if there's areas that we're spending money on that we hadn't really uh, thought about that much, but that we didn't realize how much we were spending. Uh, maybe we can find some value um, in other areas, buying a used car or a slightly used car, buying things at stores that maybe have better deals, better opportunities, right? We also wanna be able to protect what's important to us. Again, we talked about if I end up disabled, what happens to my plan? If I end up in a long-term care facility, what happens to my plan? And when I say plan, right, what we're trying to protect is our income earning, right? Our ability to have income come in. We wanna make the most of our money that we have, right? What does that mean? How we're investing it, where are we gonna allocate it? And then how are we saving if we're still in our earning years, saving for our long-term goals and trying to accumulate wealth? That's the key of what we're talking about today. So again, your future kind of depends on what you do today, right? It depends on the decisions we make today that'll benefit us uh, in the future and whether or not we wanna make any sacrifices or whether or not we don't really have to make sacrifices if we just knew what the plan would look like and that we were on track to achieve it. And that's really what we want to solve by putting uh, things down on paper and making sure we understand for us individually, right? What's our health? What's our longevity? What's our assets? What's our earning abilities? And what are, what are our own preferences? And putting that all together. And that's really key. So I think uh, Landon's on the line with us. If anyone really has a question, um, now would be a good time. I, I know I talked a lot and went through a lot of information. Uh, but I want to make sure that people understand that you know, this is kind of a key starting spot is we want to put things down on paper, get things organized, have kind of a game plan, and then work ourselves into the other areas of investing and planning and all of those ideas. Um, but if anyone has a question, uh, feel free to go ahead and ask it. I'm going to give a, a minute or two here to see, of course, because you have to type it in the question box uh, since we don't have the microphones on.
John, I'm not seeing any questions at this time, but we did have people once again ask for the slides. I think this was a great informative presentation with a lot of information in the slides, and we will make sure to get those out to all attendees. We also put each of these recordings out on our website under events. So all of John's webinars that he has been doing over the last several months are on our website. So feel free to check those out. And with this particular one, we'll also put a link on our website to the slides. So if you miss that email or it gets caught in spam, feel free to join or to go to our website under events and look for this particular event, and there will be a link for you. Excellent. All right, John, I, I still don't see any other questions, so. Okay, well, I'd like to thank everyone for spending some quality time. Uh, ho hope you got some valuable information out of it. Uh, again, my goal always is to make sure that you as the client or you as the uh, attendee uh, can get what's important to you. So feel free to just reach out to me if you wanna send me an email. I have my contact information on the screen. If you wanna call me, uh, that's my mobile phone. I'd be happy to give you uh, additional information on any subject that you think would be relevant to you uh, and any information that can help you kind of achieve your financial objectives and goals. And for that, I think I'll close it out and say thank you very much. And um, I appreciate your time today. Thank you. ESG Players Podcast can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and many other platforms through the Backroom Studios. That's Backroom Studios, S-T-E-W-D-I-O-S. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC, Jonathan B. Kovacnik, CHFC, registered representative, advisory services offered through Securities America Advisories, Inc., Cherokee Investment Services, Bank Cherokee, and Securities America are separate companies, not FDIC insured, no bank guarantees, may lose value, not insured by any government agency, not bank deposits.